We're already more than conquerors through him that has loved us, but one day we will sing that conqueror's song after final victory. Yet, in the meantime, we are still the church militants. There is the church triumphant in heaven, and a number of our members have been promoted there in these last few years, but we are here still in the spiritual battle, as Paul was when he was writing these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and Paul has mentioned Satan trying to hinder the work of the gospel. We should always be encouraged if there are attacks, because the devil doesn't want the gospel to go out in power. He doesn't want Christians to live holy lives. And one of the things that the devil was doing to hinder the newborn church in Thessalonica was stopping Paul from going back to see them. And what Paul is doing in the verses we've started considering, verse 17 of chapter 2 into chapter 3, is explain to them why he couldn't go back to them. And Paul is in Athens, and he's not doing any sightseeing. He has Timothy with him, and Timothy was Paul's companion and an evangelist. But rather than keep Timothy, and what a team they would have made in Athens to take the gospel around that needy city, Paul decides to let Timothy go. He sends him back to Thessalonica to see how things are. And what we'll have is what Timothy is going to do when he gets to Thessalonica, and then Timothy's report returning, not to Athens, because Paul has moved on by that point to Corinth. So just two things tonight. Timothy being sent to Thessalonica with a mission. Now, what was Timothy to do? Look at chapter 3, and he says, to establish you. Where am I in chapter 3? I'm in the middle of verse 2. I'm sending Timothy to establish you and encourage you. Establish and encourage. Now, the word for establish is strengthen. Uh, Timothy is being sent to buttress and if you walk down uh, the alleyway there, I think I've got this right, there are buttresses on the side of the wall. They are there to support that wall. And Paul is sending his best man, Timothy, to this needy church in order to prop them up. Thank God for Timothy's. Uh, God has Timothy's in this congregation, not just men, not just those in official positions, but those who help us, strengthen us. Are we Timothy's in that sense? And then the other word, it's a lovely word, to encourage. This means to get alongside in order to comfort. So when the Holy Spirit is described as our paraclete's this is the word that it comes from, parakletos, to 
encouraged to strengthen again one's arms by getting alongside. Now, the example of an encourager in the New Testament is Barnabas. His name actually means the son of encouragement. And again, there are believers who have this gift of getting alongside. Are you one of those? Uh, You are just able in a natural way uh, to get alongside a person, maybe a person that is struggling, and just give them words of strength, words of hope, words that just give them that spur to carry on. Now, what two lovely things Paul sends Timothy to do to this young congregation in Thessalonica. Now, in one sense, we are all involved in this. We are all to strengthen one another and to encourage one another. There's a fine line, isn't there, between looking out for one another and crossing that line and being busybodies in one another's lives. There's a difference between looking out for one another and spying on one another. It's the heart, isn't it? If the heart is right, I believe these things work themselves out in practice. But are we a people that seek to build one another up in the faith? But look at what Paul says. Uh, He mentions one thing in particular. Let's read again uh, verse 2. I'm sending Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Concerning your faith. And then there's mention uh, in verse 5, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. What are you worried about, Paul, concerning their faith? Lest by some means the tempter, that's the devil, had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So here is the apostle, and he's worried sick in Athens. He's worried for his young flock in Thessalonica. Through the preaching of the gospel, they had come to believe, and there was persecution there. That's why Paul and his team had to leave so soon. And Paul is worried that these spiritual attacks are going to undermine the faith of these young believers and that Paul's ministry there would have been in vain. My friends, we need to be strengthening uh, one another and encouraging one another because we are in a battle. Half the battle is in the mind, is it not? If you've got a people who think that they've already lost before they go into the battle, then that's uh, self-defeating. Wearsby puts it well, as a roaring lion, Satan stalks believers, and we must resist him steadfast in the faith. When Satan tempted Eve, he began by weakening her faith. Hath God said... As a serpent, Satan deceives. As a lion, he devours. This is what Paul is saying. I'm sending Timothy to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Your faith. For this reason, verse 5, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. Where is Satan tempting us? He's tempting us in our faith. If the devil can get us to shake in our faith, 
then there is an exploitation there, and he can bring the whole thing down. Uh, if you uh, think of The Lord of the Rings, the second film, The Two Towers, there was that mighty fortress, uh, and it was impregnable, uh, this fortress of Helm's Deep. And yet, there was one weak point. There was a culvert, a, a little place under the wall where the stream would flow. And it's in that culvert that the enemy, Saruman, targets, and he puts an explosive there. And what Satan is doing, he's going around, either like a roaring lion or like an angel of light, and he's looking for weaknesses in our faith. He doesn't want you to put up the shield of faith, whereby you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Again, there are interesting words that are used here. Uh, Paul mentions shaken, that no one, verse 3, should be shaken by these afflictions. A better word is unsettled, unsettled. That's what Satan wants to do with regard to your faith and mine. He wants to shake our faith. He wants to unsettle us. Uh, the word unsettle is a very interesting one, at least if uh, you're interested in dogs. Uh, the same word is used of a dog wagging its tail. Now, that's a good sign, I'm told. When a dog comes to you wagging their tail, it means that they are friendly. But here, the word unsettled uh, speaks of deceiving, flattering. Isn't the devil good at that? He didn't stop in paradise, did he? He still whispers in people's ear, as he did to Eve, has God said? Doesn't the devil love it when we begin to doubt God's promises? Are there some here tonight who are unsettled regarding the veracity of the word of God? Listen, the devil is the father of lies. The God who has given us this word is the God who cannot lie. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that one of the uh, most prevalent sins in evangelicalism today is unbelief. God has given us so many promises in the word. And yet, why aren't we availing ourselves of them? A number of us have had the promise laid on our hearts for the gift of the spirits. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? I don't need to tell you in this church about that promise, do I? So many of you have heard that promise being expounded again and again. You've heard of accounts where God has answered the prayers of his people. But where are we today? when it comes to promises such as that. Haven't we become unsettled? There is very little seeking God for an outpouring of the Spirit. That's what the devil wants. That's why the devil attacks the churches of Jesus Christ. That's why the devil causes some good people to go to excesses. That's why he causes others to overreact to that and deny any sense of an outpouring of the Spirit. He just wants us to be unsettled. 
Because what Satan doesn't want is a people that are of one accord seeking for an outpouring of the spirits. He hates that. May this church keep on seeking for remove of the spirits. There are going to be ministers in Bala this week, and I know some of them are going to be pleading with the Lord for such an outpouring of the Holy Spirits. I'm more afraid of Satan when he flatters than when he's a roaring lion, I think. It's horrible, isn't it, when you're attacked spiritually, when the devil just throws his arsenal at you and all you can do is resist him. You can't do anything else. But when he transforms himself into an angel of light, when he starts to peddle in half-truths and deceits, it's like the enchanted ground in Pilgrim's Progress. And we really need to have our wits about us then. So, my friends, are we going to be, like Timothy is going to be in the church at Thessalonica, are we going to be strengtheners and encouragers of one another? Because the devil gets in when we are weak in the faith. And often we are weak in the faith when we're shaking, when we begin to lose our confidence in Christ. If you get a believer who is worn down, maybe, by difficulties, who is getting uh, discouraged, the devil can come in then. And if we drag that person down, it just makes things worse. If only we could lift them up. Can you see what Paul is trying to do in sending Timothy? Let me give you just some more verses here, uh, just to... Uh, show you what I mean. Paul is saying, the best way to counter these attacks of Satan, who just thrives in darkness, that's the devil's uh, atmosphere. The best way to counter them is to walk in the light. There's a big word today, isn't there, in terms of organizations. It's transparency. It means have everything out in the open. That's the best way to stop the flatteries of the devil. And Paul puts it very well uh, here. He says, I want Timothy to encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And this is Paul now. He says, look, I've been honest with you. I've been transparent with you. I've been walking in the light with you. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And then he labors the points, and this is not mere repetition. There is a reason for this in the word. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. And then a third time, and you know. There is a threefold repetition. Paul is saying to these believers, yes, the devil is attacking you. He's bringing opposition upon you. But we warned you, you know, you know, you know. I haven't been dealing in an underhand way with you. I've been above board with you. Uh, didn't Paul do the same with one of uh, the uh, earliest uh, group of converts uh, that 
uh, were brought to faith in one of the missionary journeys. A few weeks after having them saved, he goes back there and he says, through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's encouraging, you know. <laughs> I find it discouraging when we hide things from believers. The prosperity gospel is an example. I don't think it's a danger for us, but in parts of the world that are poor, sad to say, Satan is having a field day with health and wealth teaching. And there are preachers who are just not being plain with people that are hearing the gospel. But I find it encouraging when I'm told what the truth is. It's better to say it as it is. And isn't Jesus Christ our greatest encourager, isn't he? Hebrews 12, looking, we're surrounded, aren't we, by a great cloud of witnesses. Maybe some of you have had people who've encouraged you over the years, people who've got alongside you, people that the Holy Spirit, as the Parakletos, has used to encourage you, a two-fold encouragement. Maybe there are others here who are doing that. Praise God for them. Being surrounded by so great a cloud of encouragers. The ultimate encourager is Jesus. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And then in that chapter, Hebrews 12, the writer goes on to say, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And I like the way it is put later on in Hebrews 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Don't we know what feeble knees are when we get older? And make straight paths for your feet. In Bible college, we had to have elocution lessons. And do you know what? I was told that I hadn't been breathing properly until that lesson. You're supposed to breathe through your diaphragm. And the man giving us the lessons in elocution would often tell us, stand up, throw your voice. It's like Paul here. Strengthen the weak arms. Lift them up. Stand straight. Quit you like men. Don't we need that? Let us be like that with one another. Let, let us so deal with one another, so speak with one another, that we just lift one another up. It's so easy, isn't it, to bring people down rather than bring them up. Just a word, a word. A word can wound a person, but a word can be like... A, Shot in the arm for a person as well. I remember one uh, lady, she's gone to glory now, and we had one person who had a very difficult job. And this lady just happened to comment to him, just as an aside, how amazed she was at the way this person was able to do his job. And that person felt encouraged. He was encouraged to go back into work on a Monday. 
May this church be a place where we build one another up. May we walk in the light. We, we need to be more transparent. We do. May, may, may we not give an opportunity for the devil in any way. May, may we realize that we are in a race. Uh, it's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's not a hundred meter dash. It's not even a marathon, is it? Uh, it's an ultra. Uh, people run today several ultra marathons. This is what the Christian race is like. I'd rather be slow and plodding than try to dash and then lose all energy and be laid aside. We sang, why should I complain? Do you, do you complain? We all do, don't we? We're, we're a generation of grumblers. Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me. We've signed up for this. We can't say, I didn't sign up for this. Yes, we did. He told me, no less, the years of salvation I know from his word through much tribulation must follow their Lord. But what a privilege to walk in the path of Jesus Christ and to have him he is the ultimate paraclete isn't he by his spirit I have promised never to leave you nor forsake you Lord you really will not leave me no I will never leave you Lord it doesn't matter where you go I will not abandon you it doesn't matter what the times may be like I will be with you through thick and thin Aren't you glad? When great men and women of God are no longer with us, we think, don't we, ah, we're no longer going to have their prayers. Well, that's true. But Jesus is still with us. And he's still praying. And he's perfect. Uh, you know that hymn of Newton's? I don't know how many of you know the history of Newton. He helped William Cooper the poets and Cooper and Newton lived next to each other and if I've got this right uh, you could go from Newton's house through the back garden through a gate into Cooper's house so Newton or Cooper they didn't have to go all the way around so poor Cooper he would be needing pastoral advice from Newton all the time all the time and he didn't have to go all the way around he could go in through the back that's Great, isn't it? What a provision of God to have John Newton, one of the biggest pastoral hearts uh, in church history, so near to William Cooper, who was ravaged with depression. But listen, there is someone that's even nearer than Newton was to Cooper. Jesus, I know it's a cliche, but it's a precious cliche. Jesus Christ is a prayer away. There's no wall. There needs to be no gates. This poor man cried unto the Lord, and he heard him. I wonder, wouldn't it be encouraging if tonight we had, in fellowship, a sharing with one another of how the Lord has helped us? Have you got a story? How the Lord has delivered you? 
What an encouragement to another believer. So that's what Timothy was to do in Thessalonica. He was to go there as an encourager so that the devil would not get the Thessalonians in their weakest points in their faith but that they would just realize that we're in this together. Now then, have I got time? I'll just start the next points. I'll just start it. It's not just a spiritual battle we're in, is it? It's a battle against the clock. It's, uh, we're not going to have this problem in heaven. And when revival comes, we're lifted above the problem of time. When the Spirit is poured out, people lose all sense of time. There are accounts of prayer meetings starting on uh, an evening, and then there is such an awareness of the presence of God, the next thing people realize is that it's the next morning. But that is not a justification for long sermons. So I'll just start the next point. So Timothy has been in Thessalonica. Paul now is no longer in Athens. He's moved to Corinth. And Timothy returns. So I don't know how long it would have taken. Several weeks, possibly months. And Timothy is reporting back. And this is Paul's response. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us bad news. Okay news. There's no okay in the New Testament, incidentally. Good news. Good news. Of your faith and love, Paul says, in all our affliction, a little later, and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. And now we live. Do you know what? Paul had been under such intense pressure, a burden that was eating into his very soul because he was so anxious about the states of the church in Thessalonica. How are they? Are they still going on with the Lord? Are they still believing? When Timothy returned and gave good news, Paul could breathe again. The burden had been lifted. And Paul was so excited. Do you know what he did? He just wrote this letter straight away. And in this letter, uh, we have the heartbeat, don't we, of the Apostle Paul. Do you know, Paul says it was good news. He brought us good news. The word good news is the word gospel. The only place in the New Testament where the word gospel is used not in reference to unbelievers. Paul says, hearing of your faith and love, it was like hearing of your conversion for the first time. It was that good to us. Let me finish here and ask the question. If a report was compiled not of the church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, but of Heath Church in Cardiff in 2022. We were looking, weren't we, in lockdown at Jesus' reports of the seven churches in Asia Minor, the seven letters. 
I wonder what that report would contain. For our encouragements, what does the Lord of the church think of us? Paul, I'll go on to this next Sunday evening, but Paul doesn't talk about the size of the congregation. Uh, when we ministers gather together and we're asking, how is your church? What we usually mean is, how big is it? Paul doesn't mention in his excitement to write to the Thessalonians because he's so relieved that they are going on with the Lord. He's not mentioning the size of the congregation. He's not even mentioning the size of the budget, how much money they've got. He's not mentioning how much they're doing. He's not mentioning their particular brand of theology. All that Paul is waxing eloquently on is their faith and love. Their faith and love. John Calvin calls that, that is the summary of the Christian life, faith and love. What about us? We're in a goodly uh, sized church. I'm grateful to the Lord for that. We have a healthy budget. We have so many good activities. May that long continue. We have a sound theology. But in the end, our spiritual health is summed up. How is our faith and how is our love? And may God, as we look through the remainder of this chapter next time, help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not numerical growth, not financial growth, not growth in activities that comes first. They come later. It's growth in faith and love for his name's sake. Uh, let us sing together now. Here is love. It's, it's not our love in the end, is it? Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. And I've chosen the supplement version, which is two extra verses, because they have our response then to that love of God. And may this be the response in our hearts. So let us stand and worship.
after thyself, and we shall be drawn. Lord, it's our hearts that need dealing with. We just ask thee uh, for forgiveness that we're often not walking in the light, that we uh, lack uh, confidence uh, in thy promises. O Lord our God, whatever the circumstances may be, may we, like Abraham of old, be, as it were, absolutely convinced that the God who has promised will fulfill. And, O Lord, help us to be encouragers of one another, not uh, bringing one another down. Just may we speak a word in season to one another as Christ May we be focused not so much on one another, but on Jesus Christ and on seeing one another as he sees us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.